there are not many women or head tailors in the world of tailoring. So today I'm delighted to be speaking with Catherine Sargent. Catherine started her career in the wonderful world of tailoring at Geeves and Hawks on London Savile Row in 1996. She quickly rose to the position of head cutter, the first woman to do so in the entire history of Savile Row. She founded her own tailoring house in 2012 and is the world's only female master tailor. Breaking tradition, she offers tailoring for both men and women, focusing on the needs of the client rather than a set house style. Catherine, welcome to the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. It's great to see you. Great to see you too. So I wanted to start by asking a little bit about you. Uh, so if you could tell us you know, what it is you do for work. So just tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm a bespoke cutter. So I trained at, in Savile Row and learnt my craft there. And I make bespoke clothing for men and women um, of all sort of shapes and sizes and styles and cuts. And I love, I love the variation of that. Um, but essentially I um, trained in one of the largest houses in Savile Row at Geeves and Hawks and worked my way up through all the different aspects of tailoring and then started my own business just under 10 years ago where I decided to, you know, to give it a go and, and try and create a bespoke tailoring business in my own vision and in my own style. Um, but really, I'm a business owner and also a craftsperson, so it's quite an interesting conflict and also challenge in my day-to-day life because I love the hands-on work, but also you know, the vision and, and development of the business at the same time. So it's interesting you talk about yourself as a cutter, and a maker of bespoke. Yes. Just explain those concepts to us a bit. I fit and I create three-dimensional garments to for the individual person. So a pattern cutter that's very, very specific rather than a pattern cutter that's making patterns for factory clothing. Um, and bespoke is to work with an individual. One bespeaks their commissions to their tailor. So basically... In the you know the good old days, traditionally men would go to their tailors and say, "I'd like a pair of trousers like this," and or you know something like along those lines, and the tailor would cut to their exacting measurements, to their exacting demands. But I kind of absorb that approach, but I'm much more collaborative and I make recommendations. And and a really good bespoke tailor will do that anyway. But I really have less of a strong vision about you know my own style of clothes I really like to capture my client's style in the clothes that I make for them and that's a true bespoke tailor that's a true but that's the that's actually what excites me the most about pattern cutting so that's really you know pattern cutting but applying those bespoke uh, aspects to it and working with very much with the individual rather than creating mass manufactured garments and trying to sell them to people which is in this day and age quite wasteful a lot of landfills created by that to actually go to a tailor and work with someone and create something that's going to last and be in your wardrobe and loved and cared for for many many years is something that's becoming more important and people are more aware of that that accessibility of tailoring whereas one you know when I started um tailoring there was a certain type of client you know it wasn't available for everybody and I think now it's much more accessible um, which I'm you know I I think it's a sign of our times and an evolution of our industry as well. 
Do you call yourself a tailor? No, the only time I call myself a tailor is when I'm putting it on a form to kind of get through immigration somewhere because people understand what that is, you know. But really, I call myself a, a cutter. In bespoke terms, in Savile Row terms, tailors are the people that sew. So it's divided into two aspects. I do sew, but I wasn't, I'm not a practicing tailor. So in the world of tailoring, bespoke tailoring in Savile Row, you have artisan, expert, coat makers, trouser makers, waistcoat makers, and cutters. And so I'm a cutter. And some cutters can't sew, and some cutters can sew. And I trained to sew, but I wouldn't offend my amazing coat makers by saying I'm a coat maker or a tailor because that's not my that's not my focus in everyday job I have a team of people that do that that work with me and they're amazing I could make a jacket if I set myself some time but it'd take me a lot longer and it'd be a lot more challenging I know whereas cutting is something that I do every day and that I can it's something that I really have have prided you know I've, I've kind of studied it practiced it Year, day in day out and so it's something that I I really love doing I mean you can follow follow patterns and drafts and, and things like that quite instructions from books and, and I used to buy old Vogue patterns and vintage patterns and make those garments up and it's quite easy a lot of those have got like fitting instructions on how to make those patterns fit your body better so basically that's a taste of kind of what we do we do it much more more detail and looking at the body and observing the figure and also taking on board how a client wants to look and, and how they should look or how, how how to make somebody look their best physically, um, how, how impactful they want to be, that sort of thing. I'm, you know, just thinking about my own experience, I've had suits made and the experience is so different, of, of course, as it would be to go into a store and just buying a suit. And, you know, I don't know if I should call him my tailor or cutter, um, you know, would say to me, I oh, know, but, you know, you're slightly sloped, so we need to do a little bit of work on this shoulder or that shoulder and this arm and that arm. And, you know, it's it's amazing. And when you put this, when I put the suits on, I mean, it's a phenomenal feeling because you automatically stand upright um, and you feel very different than if you're just putting on a jacket that you bought in the store. Yeah, it's like having shoes made or having anything made you learn things about yourself along that way and I've been you know worked with physios and worked with you know podiatrists and things like that I've learned things about my own body and the way that they approach their skills and and their profession it's very similar to tailoring actually you know we're not we're we're trying to solve a problem we're trying to create a, a you know something that looks correct to the human eye but might be a challenge or might be an issue um I quite like to overcome problems so um you know it's style is certainly there for me I think when you see somebody in the street wearing a beautiful garment or a beautiful suit style is there and it's something that can stop you in your tracks and think why why does that look so amazing but from actual job satisfaction overcoming some physical problem and making it look less um, obvious and making that client feel more confident about their body, that's something that I really enjoy doing. And it's that kind of problem-solving mind that you have when you're cutting cutting a pattern. Like you say, it's a, co- it's a 
combination of style and figuration and it's the anyone can cut a, pa- a pattern or buy a pattern but how you make it fit the body in a in a way that's right your description of of the way you work is so amazing because it just makes you feel or makes one feel that you know the experience is so personal and that personal experience kind of elevates oneself you know, it takes you into a completely different dimension, which is, it's an amazing thing to be able to do. You know, I always think, right, you know, with the pandemic and everything that's happened, you know, and, and the, the title of your, your podcast, In Pursuit of Luxury, what is luxury and, and you know, all of these things. I, I always think, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm not saving lives here. I've got a skill and it's, I'm a craftsperson. I'm not a doctor. I'm no, how important is it? How important is it what I do? How important is it to to my clients? It's important to me. It's important. Um, it's certainly a, something that you study and 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 you improve on year on year, like a fine wine, I think, or something like that. You know, you're acquiring these skills, and you're standing on a when you when you sort of finish your apprenticeship, you're standing on a bedrock of basic skills, and you build on them and build on them throughout your career, and you meet new challenges and discover new cloths and new materials and you're always being challenged. And I think in, in my job or any job, when you're learning and improving, there's something that's quite rewarding in that. And, and you know, it's the experience of working with these clients. It's the experience of working with these tailors with these amazing skills that gives me great satisfaction. And, you know, I think that's that's what keeps me going every day. It can be quite transformative for for a new client and it can be also very overwhelming and I try and make it as straightforward as possible but also an enjoyable experience something that you know I can sense if somebody's quite anxious and they're nervous about things I had one a new client a new female client a couple of weeks ago her husband was a client of of mine and he treated her to a, a suit for Christmas for a holiday present and she said she felt like she was going to the dentist you know, the night before she was that nervous and worried about it. And I really felt, you know, I took that on board and thought, I just want her to really like look forward to coming in. I don't want her to feel worried and, and nervous. There's no bad decisions here. You know, you're in a safe pair of hands and I'll certainly guide you and, and also give you great advice. And I want, it's important for me to make something that's right for you. So I hope that with my approach, it's quite reassuring as well. I was wondering what excites you the most about what you do? Because you're very passionate about your work. So. I think when you see something that you've, you know, when I use the word laboured, when you've created something and you see the finished article on the body and, you know, you're presenting it to the client for the final time, there's a lot of emotion and a lot of nerves that's attached to it because you want to make sure that they're satisfied with everything and that they're overjoyed as well. And when that happens there's something really rewarding um there's a delight for the the person you're creating something for but there's also delight for me that I know that all the work the background work that people a lot of people don't realize the amount of work that goes into it, the amount of thoughts or there might there might be some sleepless nights you know recutting a sleeve or thinking about a collar or you know this or a button choice or something like that um and then when people come back and say they've been stopped in the street to say, where did you get that suit from? Or where did you get that garment from? 
And they've had great comments from complimentary comments from people they don't know and people they do know. And they feed that back to you. That's something that's, you know, really rude. And then when they come back and order more, there's a delight in that because you know you've done a nice work for them and they want to come back and have more of it. And that's surely what we want in in our business. We don't want to just make one-offs and then never see people again. You want to cultivate an experience as a relationship. And, um, and I think that's there's a joy in that relationship or knowing someone a long time. And I've grown up in that time, that journey of that relationship. And I've seen them change in their lives. And quite often we talk about that past or that that sort of thing. And I think it's a people job. It's a a relationship job, really. And I think that's, I'm definitely more of a people person than, than anything, I suppose. I've probably got... 25, 25 years under my belt of tailor, of tailor, bespoke tailoring in Savile Row now. I know that I've got more ahead of me. Um, and she just, there's these great craftspeople who've gone before me and ones that I know and I really respect and admire. And I can see how they have improved with age. You know, it's one of those things where when you're older, you have more skills. And so as long as you keep your health and your mind, then you're going to be even better uh, than you are today. And I think that is something. I know what, people don't retire really in our, our trade unless they really have to. People still want to go on making. And I've worked with you know, people who are over the age of 80 still working because they, they enjoy it so much. It's a passion. Um, they don't want to just sit at home and a lot of tailors work really, really hard and cutters work really hard and it's very difficult to have a life outside of, of work, especially back back then because it was so much was demanded of you. It's in it's an interesting trade because of the people that make it. Um tell us a little bit about your the the design process. People come to me with either either they want they have they have an idea of something they want, so they might have want to have a suit or a jacket or an overcoat and generally they'll 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 come in and say I want a suit I want it in this cloth or you know they've read some things on the internet about cloth and they are coming at me with a point of knowledge and sometimes with experience sometimes with no experience but a lot of reading a lot of research and um I'll sort of sit them down and say, okay, so, you know, ha- have you had suits made before? And you'll then you'll discover whether they've had the experience before and they're used to working with a tailor or not and um, talk to them about any issues that they've had previously or things that they look out for in their garments. And then I'll talk to them about cloth. So from the point of view of wearability, um, I'll say, you know, how often do you want to wear this garment? Is it going to be three seasons? Is it going to be all year round? Whereabouts in the world do you live? What's the climate like? You know, all of that. And that just makes me think, right, okay, the starting block is the cloth. So then that helps me recommend cloths that would be great for their purpose. I get them to actually touch the cloth rather than look at it. And then the ones that have done research on the internet and come to me with their ideas, I'll show them the, the cloths that they might have chosen um because looking at something online is very different to actually touching it and the experience of that 
um, and kind of educating as well and guiding them through the world of cloth. So once we've selected a cloth, then I'll talk to them about style and I'll basically look at them, talk to them about things they like, talk to them about their um, profession, if it's a business suit or if it's a garment that's for travel or the flexibility or how they want to wear things from day to night or that, that kind of stuff. But really, if they're coming to me for a tailored suit or a tailored garment, um, could be jacket, could be a pair of trousers, anything, I start with, I always start with that process and I work through it all in that way. And so I have my framework of, of working that works for me, but it's not necessarily how other businesses work because sometimes in other tailor shops, you'll have a salesperson and then they'll pass you to the cutter and then they'll pass you to the, the trouser cutter. But I'm really, I have like more, I want to know my clients more. I want to know, I want to design with them. I want to collaborate with them. I want them to bring their ideas to me. Does fashion fit into this process? No. No. Okay. No, no, just interesting because you don't, you don't speak of it. So um, it doesn't, it doesn't sound like it, it's there, which is, you know. I mean, I, 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 I'm trend aware, you know trousers went narrow and for men narrow and high and ankle revealing and then went long longer and wider and you know I'm I'm trend aware I know what's going on but people don't really come to me and and reference fashion um or s- style is something different like people come to me and talk about Cary Grant people come to me and talk about a gray flannel suit that Cary Grant wore in North by Northwest and and you know that's style that's or Audrey Hepburn, or, you know, that's people, you talk about that with people get excited about Jackie Kennedy's garment, you know, they, those sorts of things are sort of eternal, but fashion, fashion, it's, it's a, it's a strange one. Like I don't make a collection and I don't have a, a, a house style. I don't have a cut that I cut to that I try and sell people or, or say to them they should have my signature, which is what designers do. And couturiers do in a way. I do make, in my view, pieces that are more couture with embroidery and more elaborate design. But I'm not producing a collection and you know exhibiting it and then making individual pieces from it. I'm making very much for the individual and designing things collaboratively with with them but yes I look at fashion I look at the fashion magazines I'm really interested in fashion I'm it's not that I'm not aware of fashion but we create these timeless elegant garments and if someone comes in with a really sort of fashion forward idea it can be done but I'm always saying do you really want to wear that in 10 years time thinking about what you're saying about Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn what inspires you yeah I mean I was inspired I, oh God, I love James Bond. Like I was brought up on Connery and Roger Moore, Bond. I, I, I mean, my mom told me she thought my dad was a spy when they first met. He had that kind of James Bond look about him, carrying a briefcase. And but I was really, really influenced by James Bond and the whole idea of a man looking effortless in his garments, but mysterious and sexy and wondering why and how. And, you know, it's it's that kind of um, 
enigma of of clothing and what it can do for someone and the psychological effect it can have on on you quite a few designers are now just saying you know we don't want you to buy more we want you to buy less but buy better yeah yeah and i, I mean i've i use this <laughs> this quote so often because it, it it's resonated with me for such a long time i interviewed olga baluti Oh um, yes, she's wonderful, isn't she? I saw a film, <laughs> a film that you were very lucky to inter- interview her. Wow! <laughs> and the thing, the you know, one of the things she said because um, I spent I spent a morning with her, and one of the things she said to me is that a good pair of shoes is not the new pair of shoes. A good pair of shoes is the pair of shoes you've worn forever that you take back to the cobbler to fix. And when you get married, those are the shoes you wear. You don't wear the new pair of shoes. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And it's the same with the suit. There's definitely a change in that kind of mid-level customer where they will save up for something and buy something much better. And I think that's the job of us to educate and and inspire and then explain the worthwhile nature of it. It wasn't spoken about before. Like you said about pair, a good pair of shoes that you can wear through your life and, and take back to the cobblers to be resold, rehealed. The same with a good tailored jacket or a good pair of trousers. You can go back to your tailor to be let out or taken in as your body changes over the years and, and be pressed and maintained and restitched and, you know, worn time and time again. And I think that's it's not just seen for some it's you know there's a value in it that's appreciated not just by the few if that makes sense I think there's much more of an awareness of that now and I think because people are really turning their back so much on that kind of fashion mass accumulation of of stuff and landfill and waste so I think a lot of people don't just want to buy something they they want to have an experience that they can remember you know i have i um sent some swatches to a client recently a, a young a young client and they told me they were going to keep that letter and look back on it on 20 years time you know that letter the first letter they received and you just think she they said i imagine many of clients just throw a letter like that away but it's like that's what a, what a lovely thing to think about a valuable that's a valuable piece of communication that's part of that journey of having made a decision of what cloth i'm going to have and then what garment i'm going to have made and then i look at that garment and i remember all that time when we've had those chats and decisions and i can imagine from a client perspective that's really nice like obviously i'm 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 on the other side, but I, there's things in my life. If I was going to go and have something made, I imagine I'd have the same same thing. Like I keep notes about things, and it, you know, it's it's quite it's a quite a different. You know, you want that you want that experience to re- enrich you. Uh, again, for the podcast, um, I interviewed the uh, one of the directors at Harris Tweed, and we were talking about exactly this. You know, about fabrication and. Um, but we were talking about colour, and um, she was um, telling me that a lot of the colour, the colours are inspired by you know the surroundings, that you know their colour palette. And I said, well, you know, when in you know the midst of a pandemic, how do you communicate that colour to the client? Because every screen is different, 
the representation of color is going to be different in every screen. And she said, well, that was one of the, you know, like you've said, you know, it's one of the biggest challenges. You, you can't feel it. You can't see, really see it. Um, difficult. What are the materials you'd like most to use? How long have you got? <laughs> As I said, that, I was thinking, should I give an example of, you know, because the list could be... Yeah, the, it's, pr it's pretty long. So I have my favourite cloths mm. for different things to achieve different results. And I have go-to cloths that I, I just love, for example, like a great workhorse suit um, that's going to just be easy to care for, hold its shape, look amazing, not shine, not crease. I've got great cloths that I can go to for like travel pieces that don't crease, that are quite resilient and tough. What would the workhorse cloth, for example, be? So a good sort of, a good weight uh, between 11, 12, 13 ounces. I, they, they, these cloths come in all sorts of different weaves and patterns and designs. So there's something for everybody. And there's not just one blue, there's many blues. You know, thinking about a blue suit, blue looks great on everybody. Gray's harder. Gray, you need to look at complexion and things like that. So I'm quite, I quite, I like looking at color um, and weaves and patterns and, and the shapes on that. So it's a, it would be like a classic worsted cloth that, that would be woven in Huddersfield in Yorkshire. You know, I love cloth from there and it's the best in my view to make wonderful tailoring. Um, I have my own Harris tweed that I designed. It really does depend on the garment and the cloth, the cloth choice and the garment combined. But I just know certain cloths perform fantastically for me to work with as a tailor as a cutter and a tailor to, to create something that's really sharp or really soft or there's cloths as well that are much better for women's wear than men's wear. Like you need a cloth with great drape for women's wear. So I can tell just by touching the cloth, if it's going to work, you want to look at something and think, how was that made? Or how long did it, people quite often say, how long does it take to make a suit? How long does it take to make that table? People define craft by the, the man hours it takes it's not to me that's always it doesn't really do it justice it's more about the quality and the time spent by that person to master their their craft it's not quantifiable I'm not running a factory it's something that's you know it's it's beautiful are you and are you the only woman master tailor I believe I'm the only female Master tailor, yes. There's not many male master tailors around either. I think to be a master tailor, it means that you can make and cut, and then you are the proprietor of your business, uh, business in your name. So a lot of people just stay in their career and within a company. And you know, Savile Row is not lots and lots of companies. You know, and a lot of people wanted to stay in a business long service and all of that and not many people are want to go and start a business and um, have that drive or interest to do um i know it's it's something that not many people go leave leave um, the larger firms and and do that there's a handful of us but there's more and more women now within the roles that are client facing within savile row within the tailoring businesses so there'll be more to come um it's just one of those 
very, very difficult trades to master, to actually learn. It's a long time to learn cutting or a long time to learn jackets or a long time to learn trousers. And also the opportunities, there's just not low, there's not hundreds of businesses. So there's not that, it's a harder shell to crack, I think, when you're young. And I, there's lots of apprent- lots of people seeking apprenticeships and there's not enough roles for everybody who wants to train, and sadly. But when I started back in the like mid nineties, there wasn't, there weren't any women really. There were women were just, you know, in the workrooms doing a bit of the sewing of the finishing, and it was the fact that I wanted to learn cutting. I wanted to see clients. You know, at first I didn't realize that's what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to work in Savile Row and I knew I wanted to learn this craft. But I say, I think I created that opportunity because I was just so passionate and wanted to learn. And I think there was probably doubt in uh, my manager's mind as to whether I do a good job and things like that. But I just wanted to prove to them that I could do it. And then also be commercially aware because it was very obvious to me that you know you have to make money for this business so to have that awareness as well it's not all about what you want to get out of it but you have to make sure that you're you're contributing and you're contributing just as much as any male cutter they could hire so that's how I spoke to them about I spoke to them about the the financial aspect of it the 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 communication how I would present myself and be, you know, hopefully they were very proud of the fact that I was an employee. Were you received differently because you are uh, a woman or because you're female? By clients or by? By the, well, by the companies, by Gibbs and Hawks, for example. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I was, when I started there, there was uh, Robert Gieve, who was fifth generation of the Gieve family, and we were all taken under his wing and I felt like I was part of his family he was fantastic and he was so encouraging you know I I it, there wasn't a I never thought about being a woman I just wanted to do this job and I just thought I never let it be a problem because it wasn't an issue for me so I I, I actually didn't think about it too much so then they couldn't you know it, it was like a it wasn't a, a subject up for conversation but it was within the Savile Row community interesting because I did go for a job one time at a tailor's and you know as a cutter I you know I was wasn't quite there yet and I you know I was very ambitious and young and thought I could do it quicker than I could actually do it and it's a long slog really you have to be very patient you have to work really hard I went for a job at another tailor's and I was interviewed, but then I was told in the interview that they wouldn't employ me because I was a woman. So I was kind of like, okay, well, why did you interview me then? Just to really tell me that I shouldn't be, I think they really wanted to tell me that I shouldn't be doing the job. And then I went, you know, I, I just haven't, you know, that, that's their opinion. That's, that's their opinion. It's, it's not right, but, you know, did I accept it? I was quite upset about it. But going, you know, I've never let things like that bother me. Really, I've just, I've just thought, well, if they can't accept it, I'll show them that I can do it, and I'll do it as good as anybody else, and if not better, and I'll work hard and prove myself. And I've 
had interesting experience with clients over the years because again you know it's like getting a junior at a hairdresser like oh my gosh who's this young woman coming to measure me and you they'd always say so so uh, how long have you worked here then and you know that's the question that would lead to can I trust you to do this and and then I had to do a lot of in a way when I was with clients and also I had I was a lot younger and less confident and I just make it all about the suit make it all about the garment talk to them and be interested in them and and hopefully gain their trust and their confidence in me to do a good job for them and that's you know it's just you know one one of my one of my bosses said that that you know it's very difficult because Catherine when they come through the door the expectation is a man with gray hair and I I was you know it's, it was true then, you know, um, they weren't expecting to see a young woman in a smart suit. Yes. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. but so it's quite significant then that you have set up your own business. Yeah. I mean, that's I just, a, a major thing. Yeah. I just want, to, I want to, I, you know, Gibson Hawks was just such a wonderful business and company to work for and, and train with and, I, I wanted to stay there forever. It, you know, when I was younger, I had aspirations to get the carriage clock, the long service, you know, like people did, you know. But then when I was coming into my like late 30s, I was thinking, you know, I want to do more. Like there's more in me. I love this, but I want, there's more I can do. There's more I can give. There's more, this wouldn't it be nice to, you know, and I, I was curious about whether I could, perhaps be an entrepreneur go out and, and and start something up so I started exploring it and thinking what would I need what would it take financially what's the risk you know and I decided to to leave to pursue my own way of doing bespoke tailoring and you know I wanted to create for women as well as men equally and gives us a real like Bastion of menswear, and you know, had great, great time there. But it was very much a, a mas- masculine brand and traditional. I thought it would be great to do something new and and express myself through through this. And I just got excited about creating something new, creating a new business within within this traditional industry. When I left Gives and Hots, I felt like I was I was graduated and I was going into something else, like a new stage in my life where I could. I had more confidence in my skills and I could I felt like I could do more with management because Gibson Hawks was such a large company there was a lot of upper management and I realized I'd probably never have a seat at the top top table but here it's mine I can do it and I can be working with my contemporaries in other tailoring businesses as a collective you know talking about the heritage and the craft and and being passionate but you know the Savaray Bespoke Association is made up of all these different businesses, but collectively we're all really passionate about what we do. And that's a great, great trade and a community to be a part of. Yeah. And I think, I think you, you know, you hit on a really important point is that this new generation, you know, you and your contemporaries, you know, who are your age and or younger, you, you guys are the future of, you know, of this craft. I already feel old, so there's right. a lot of young. Vi- there's a lot of young, vibrant people coming up in the trade, and they're starting their own things. And it's it's seen as less 
it's more acceptable to do that. You know, people start starting businesses, young businesses, and yeah, kind of have this thing where I think, oh, you need to do this the way I've done it. You know, this is how you earn your tailoring stripes and you get all this years under your belt. But everyone's different, aren't they? And have different experiences. What do you think makes something luxury? So I was thinking about what makes something luxury and it's, you know, we all have our things that are essential, are essential. You know, l- l- do we need luxury? I think we do. Um, there's certain things that I deem maybe luxurious that I find as essentials, like chocolate and things like that. Um, champagne maybe. But, you know, it's something that's special, that, that that's it could be an experience, it could be an object, it could be something. But what makes that what makes it special? It's something not of the everyday. So for me, like a luxury experience might be a holiday where I have time to really, truly relax, have some great food with great company of friends, or I can go and have a pair of shoes made. And it seems like such a, something that I can't, I just can't get every day. And I think that's what makes, that what make, that's what makes, um, luxury I, I, there's all sorts of there's all sorts of different aspects to it and i think it's very personal to the individual i mean i did actually want to ask you but it, I, I, no, please I do, did want please to do. ask yeah i i wanted to ask you about um the the cut and making process you cut a pattern and draft a pattern that is going to evolve so you're not cutting like all the it's, not, it's different to factory pattern cutting where you're cutting all the pocket bags and this, you're cutting a basically a template of the shell of the garment. And then you order the cloth for each commission. And then we cut it out and leave inlay, which is extra cloth around the pieces. And then we tack it together by hand and then try it on the garment, try it on the, on the then we tack it together by hand, then try it on the client and see how it fits. And then we go into a bit more of a construction. So underneath the cloth, especially in the jacket, we put another layer of canvas, which is a wall canvas that supports the shape of the pattern that you cut. And within the chest and that area where you want it to be a little bit more proud on a man's garment, you know, if you think about armour and the kind of templates or chest plates in armour, it kind of looks like that. And it's all padded together by hand and secured by hand. And it creates the shape of the garment. And so it's not a flat draped garment. It has a bit of structure to it and support to it so that when you press it or where you wear it, it has a shape to it already. And um, they're not, they're, they're, it's, it's so, they're made to, they're, construct and, they're constructed and made to last. So, a lot of garments are ready-to-wear garments are glued inside. They don't have that second layer of free-flowing canvas. And also the, the three-dimensionality of it, they don't have that because the, the handwork makes a garment roll a certain way or curve a certain way. So you can, kind of, by using the hand stitches like padding a lapel, you can tease a lapel to roll a certain way. You can tease a collar to fold around the neck. So it's those little things that are inside that are hidden and that are discreet that you might not be aware of, but it's creating the shape of that garment and making it roll and fold and behave a certain way. And then we cut it to fit that body. 
So the whole idea of the construction of the garment and the cutting and the fit of the garment are harmonious and then work for that person and work for that person's figure. And you can cut shape into a garment and give somebody a waist when they haven't really got one. So, you know, that's that's something that a tailor can really achieve. And with women's tailoring, I cut it and work with it differently. So I make the canvases on the inside a lot softer because we want we don't want that built up same idea underneath the garment, but we still want the garment to have support. And then the linings and all the other bits that go into the assembly of these pieces are cut by hand and all sewn in by hand. And that's the, the really the craft of the coat maker or the trouser maker to put those bits together beautifully. And then it's a collective team that creates those garments. So I'm the like the person seeing the client, but my team, like almost in a couture house, my team will see that client as well. And they have that person in mind when they're creating the garment. And we all sort of kind of get together and celebrate it when we feel like we've done a good job. <laughs> but, you know, you kind of see see people wearing the garments and they, they kind of been brought to life. So we, we've really come full circle, haven't we? Yes. Because <laughs> that, I mean, that just personifies this idea of craftsmanship, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. My final question to you, this is definitely the final question, is what is your luxury? I think my luxury is time. You know, I never seem to have time to really do the things that I want to do. And so when I get, when I get time to do really lovely things or enjoyable things that are not, it's not necessarily, although you know, don't get me wrong, I enjoy my work, have time to just sit and think or have time to just take a moment or speak to a friend or call someone that's that's to me a I value it I suppose it's what we put values on you know mm. I also like really nice shoes handbags makeup <laughs> food you know certain things you know I could go on but I suppose what when I think of things that I lament or that I cherish I think it's something like a really you know, if I'd look in my diary and I get a clear day or if I can carve out, a, you know, a weekend away, I just feel like these days that's really valuable to me. Catherine Sargent, it's been fantastic talking to you about all things craftsmanship, all things luxury and not so much fashion. Yes, <laughs> it's been really enjoyable. Thank you so much for having me and I've really enjoyed it, really enjoyed chatting with you. Catherine, thank you for joining us. And thank you to Intellect Books, our partner, to you for listening, and join us next time on the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. <laughs>